Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, Tony Campolo, perhaps some of you recognize that name. Tony Campolo is a well-known pastor and author, and if you've ever heard him speak, you'll know that he's one of those guys who doesn't hold back. Uh, he is not reserved by any means when he talks. He says whatever's on his mind. You've ever known anybody like that before? Hopefully you're not looking at your spouse right now. Well, one time, Campolo was speaking at a Christian women's conference, and there were over 300 women in attendance. Well, just before he spoke, the president of the organization that was hosting this conference got up, and she read a letter. The letter was from a missionary. It was a very moving letter in which the missionary identified the need for $4,000, $4,000 to take care of an emergency situation that had suddenly come up. And so after reading this letter, the president of the organization said to all the women in attendance, we need to pray right now, in this moment, that God will provide the resources to meet the needs of this missionary. And then she looked at Tony Campolo, who was sitting down, he was just about to speak, and she said, Pastor Campolo, would you please do the honor of leading us in a word of prayer, praying that God would provide the resources to meet the needs of this missionary? Campolo looked at her, and very abruptly, he said, no. She was taken aback, shocked, surprised, wondering if maybe she misheard him. And she said, I beg your pardon? And again, he said, no, I won't pray for that. I refuse to pray for that. And here's the reason. I believe that God has already provided the resources for this missionary. And what we need to do right now is give. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up my pocket I'm going to take out every bit of cash that I have and put it on this table. And if all of us will do the same thing, I think we'll discover that God has already provided the resources for this missionary. And the woman began to nervously laugh, and she said, oh, okay, I get it. You're trying to tell us that we need to give sacrificially. He said, no, I'm trying to tell us that God has already provided the resources, and what we need to do right now is give. And so with that, he opened up his pocket. He had $15 cash. He put $15 cash on the table. He looked at the president of the organization. She went to her wallet. She opened it up. She had $40 cash. She put $40 cash on the table along with his $15. And then one by one, all the women in attendance, all 300 women followed suit. By the time they were finished, they had collected $4,000. Then Tony Campolo said this, Here's the lesson. God always provides. And I believe God had provided for this missionary too. The only problem was we were keeping it for ourselves. Well, as people, we have a tendency to hold back, don't we? And keep things for ourselves. So often, like the president of that organization, we'll pray for God to do something, 
We'll pray for God to supply for our need, but then we'll overlook the reality that when God wants to do something, when God wants to accomplish something, when God wants to provide for our need, God's typical way of working in the world is through people, through ordinary, everyday people like you and like me. In fact, at least a dozen times in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Jesus. That's actually the predominant metaphor for the church in the New Testament, the metaphor that is used more than any other metaphor. Uh, there are a number of metaphors for the church in the New Testament. For example, the church is the bride of Christ, the church is the family of God, but the metaphor that is used most often is the church is the body of Jesus. But have you ever thought about what it means to say that the church is the body of Jesus? What does it mean to say that the church is the body of Jesus? Well, in a nutshell, it means that we are the channel, we are the means through which Jesus continues his ministry in the world today. That when God came among us, that first Christmas in Jesus Christ, and we'll talk more about this as we head into Advent, uh, not too far from now, but when God came among us in Jesus Christ, he launched this movement, and now he charges us with the incredible, humbling task of continuing this movement by his grace. That apart from the church, Apart from you and me, Jesus does not typically work. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take our everyday lives, our ordinary lives, and use these lives to advance his purposes in the world. Which is why it's so absolutely critical that when you and I make a conscious decision to follow Jesus, as many of us have done, we make that conscious decision to follow Jesus and become his disciples, his followers, that we don't hold anything back. We don't simply give to Jesus some of who we are, or a lot of who we are, or the majority of who we are, or most of who we are. Rather, we give to Jesus what? We give to Jesus all of who we are. And all of who we are is the name of the sermon series that we're starting this morning. Over the next four weeks, uh, this is a four-week series. It's going to last for about a month. Uh, we are going to unravel what this looks like and what it means for us to give Jesus all of who we are. Now, let me say a quick word. This series ties directly with the stewardship packet that hopefully you received in the mail sometime last week. If you're a member of Asbury or a regular attendee here, you should have received one of these packets in the mail last week. Who here received a stewardship packet? Hopefully mostly everybody. If you didn't receive a stewardship packet and would like one, we have some available in the very back. You can pick one up as you leave worship this morning. Um, you can also, if you're worshiping online right now or you're watching this video later, you can email me. My email address is up here, pastorchris at asburymaitland.org. I can forward one to you. Please, please read the information in those packets thoroughly. There is some important information for us to act on. In fact, my hope and my prayer is that if we consider Asbury to be our church home, and we are committed to living out our um, commitment to Jesus Christ through this church, that we will respond to the information in those packets, recognizing our response as a way of living out our discipleship in this world. Actually, when it comes down to it, this new sermon series that we're starting today, it's all about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and what it means to entrust our whole selves over to Jesus through the church. And so in doing this, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we are going to talk about what we're calling the four T's, the four T's, the letter T, 
The four T's of discipleship. What are the four T's of discipleship? Time and talent and treasure and trust. Notice I didn't say time or talent or treasure or trust. This isn't a la carte. It's time and talent and treasure and trust. We don't want to hold back on any one of these T's. Otherwise, we won't be giving our whole selves over to Jesus. And so the first of these T's that we're going to talk about this morning as we launch this new sermon series is time. Can you all say this with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Time. Time. Which, I'll be honest, and I was reminded of this as I was writing this sermon, this is kind of a sensitive topic for me. Um, I can only speak for myself, but I never feel as if I have enough time. Can anybody else relate? Yeah? I always feel like I'm going somewhere. I'm rushing somewhere. I'm never making enough headway on my emails. I'm never finishing all the things on my to-do list. And if I don't accomplish all the things that I wanted to accomplish because I ran out of time, I could just feel the anxiety and the stress and the irritability building up within me. You can ask my wife about this. And so when it comes to a sermon like this on giving Jesus my time, my tendency is to be on guard and to get defensive. Well, what do you mean Jesus wants my time? I don't have any extra time to give. But folks, if I'm being honest, that's not entirely true. Here's the real truth. We make time for the things that are important to us. Don't we? We make time for the things that are important to us. Doesn't matter how busy we are. Doesn't matter how much stuff we have to do. How many responsibilities we have. How many demands we have. If something is of a priority to us, we'll find a way to clear a calendar. This gentleman, whom you see up here in the monitor, uh, his name is Mohammed El Aryan. Mohammed El Aryan. He is actually one of the top economists in the entire world. And for years, he was the head of an investment fund called PIMCO, worth over $2 trillion. I didn't say $2 billion. $2 trillion. That's a number that just goes way beyond my thinking. But he gave all that up. He gave up that career. Why? Because one day his 10-year-old daughter revealed to him that because of his demanding schedule, she hardly ever saw him as a father. What happened was one evening, he was at the house and his daughter was home and it was one of those rare occasions when he was actually with his family instead of at work. And it was late and they were getting ready for bed and so he told his daughter, go brush your teeth. And she said, no. And when he asked her why she wasn't listening, she then proceeded to list, this 10-year-old girl did, 22 milestones that he had missed as a father. He had missed her first day of school. He had missed her first soccer match. He had missed a number of parent-teacher meetings simply because he was too busy, didn't have the time. This is what he went on to say. I felt awful and got defensive. I had a good excuse for each missed event. Travel, important meetings, and urgent phone calls set in to-do, but it dawned on me that I was missing an infinitely more important point. I was not making nearly enough time for her. So what did he do in response? He quit that job, and he found a different one. 
We make time for the things that are important to us. Somebody's making time for somebody here. We make time for the things that are important to us. So going back to this conversation about giving Jesus our time, the question is not, do I have enough time to give? All of us have the same number of hours in the day. Rather, the question is, is this a priority of mine? Is this important to me? That reframes the whole discussion, doesn't it? And so, folks, what I want to do this morning in the time that we have left, no pun intended, but what I want to do in the time that we have left is I want to highlight two ways in which we do this, two ways in which we actively give our time over to Jesus through the church. The first is this. It's up here on the screen. Number one, we make Christian community a priority. We intentionally and actively carve out time for this body of believers that Jesus has put together called the church. And the reason I highlight this is because there's a tendency among Christians today, particularly Christians here in America, to see church in a take-it-or-leave-it way, instead of as a necessary part of following Jesus. And yet nowhere in the New Testament is the church ever portrayed as optional. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find people following Jesus in isolation. Now, do they follow Jesus as individuals? Certainly. But they don't follow him as isolated individuals. They follow him as a collection of individuals, a community of individuals. In other words, they follow him together. Christianity at its core, the DNA of Christianity, Christianity is a together faith. Can you say this with me? It's a together faith. It's not uncommon for people to say, well, my relationship with God is personal. Is that true? It is true. It is absolutely true. Our relationship with God is deeply personal. But here's what it's not. It's not private. Personal, not private. That if it takes a village to raise a child, you ever heard that expression before? It takes a church to raise a disciple. That if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I sure hope you do, but if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who walks in the way that leads to life, if you want to be the person that God made you to be, that God created you to be, that God intends for you to be, you have got to be committed to a local church like Asbury. There is no getting around this. And when I say committed, let me clarify this. I don't mean showing up occasionally. I mean being here as often as possible, being in worship services, in person or online, as often as possible, being in Bible studies or in small groups as often as possible, carving out time for service opportunities, recognizing that God uses all of these channels to mold us and shape us and change us and transform us. Because, folks, God does use these channels to mold us and shape us and change us and transform us. I have personally experienced this kind of transformation in all the years that I've been a part of the church as a Christian, a layperson, and as a pastor. In fact, I'll never forget five years ago, 2017, Hurricane Maria came. Remember Hurricane Maria? And just absolutely devastated the island of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is still in the process of rebuilding because of that hurricane half a decade ago. Well, the church I was serving at the time, Community of Faith United Methodist Church in Davenport, Florida, about an hour from here, we wanted to raise as much money as possible to help with the relief effort. 
And so we were at a leadership meeting, and we were talking about this, and all of a sudden, one of our lay leaders threw out a number. He said, I think our goal should be to raise X amount of dollars to help with the relief effort. I'm not going to share what the exact number was. Now, me, being a person who, quite frankly, at times struggles with faith, this has been a part of my journey for a long time, I've shared this before, I sat in my chair, I had a certain kind of doubt, almost skepticism or cynicism. And I thought to myself, that's just not possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I wanted us to raise as much money as possible for the people there. But my fear was that we had set the bar too high. It was higher than any goal we had ever set as a congregation. So my worry was, we're not going to meet this goal, and then it's going to hurt our morale as a church, but then also we're going to overlook all the money that we did raise but our leadership team decided to proceed forward with that goal in mind. You know what happened? We didn't just make it. We exceeded it by over 65%. And not only that, but giving to our operational budget wasn't affected. Actually, it was higher that year than it was the previous year. You see, what God did is God took the people of the church to challenge me and encourage me to trust God more. And to step out in faith. And so when we resist Christian community, not only do we hurt the church because we rob the church of our gifts, but we also hurt ourselves. We miss out on profound levels of spiritual growth. We do not become the Jesus followers that God so desires that we become. Earlier I said that the tendency to resist Christian community is common here in America among Christians, but the truth is it was actually common to some degree in the early church, which led the author of Hebrews. We didn't know who the author of Hebrews was, but this anonymous author wrote these words uh, 2,000 years ago. This is from Hebrews 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Apparently this was going on in the early church, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his Jesus' return is drawing near. Let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another. We are encouraged, aren't we? Every time we gather in community, we are encouraged to become the people God wants us to become. So that's the first way in which we give Jesus our time. We embrace Christian community. But giving Jesus our time involves more than embracing Christian community, as important as that is. Because the truth is, we can't always be here, can we? We can't always be with each other at the church. We've got jobs, many of us do. We've got families. We've got responsibilities. We've got other demands. Giving Jesus our time, then, is also about making the most of the time that we have on this earth and recognizing the potential, the awesome, incredible potential of each and every moment that's in front of us. A moment ago, we read from Hebrews chapter 10. Well, listen to what Paul says here in the letter of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Uh, this is from the New King James Version, which is an older translation of Scripture. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's not a word that we use very much these days. Basically means carefully. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Can you say that with me? 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. What on earth does that even mean? Well, bear in mind that the New Testament was primarily written in Koine Greek. And there are two Greek words for time in the New Testament. This information is up here on the monitor. The first Greek word for time uh, used in the New Testament is chronos. Uh, chronos is chronological time, calendar time. You go from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. You go from fall to winter to spring to summer. It's going somewhere. So that's chronos, chronological time. But that's not the word that Paul uses. The word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 verse 16 is kairos. And kairos refers to a moment of time, a window of opportunity that needs to be seized immediately. And so when Paul says, redeem the time, and by the way, think of carpe diem, seize the day, this window of opportunity, it needs to be seized immediately. So when Paul says, redeem the time, here's what he basically means. I want you to take advantage of each and every moment that's before you. And use that moment to advance God's will, God's purposes in this world, thereby overcoming the evil days in which we find ourselves. Here's how the New Living Translation, a more modern translation of Scripture, renders this passage. So be careful how you live. This is the same passage, different translation. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So, what does it mean to give Jesus our time? Number one, as we said, it's about embracing Christian community. But number two, we take advantage of every single moment that we're given on this earth. And by grace, we use these moments to creatively carry out the ministry of Jesus in whatever context. Whatever context we find ourselves whether we're at work, running an errand, we're at Target, we're getting our hair cut, we're at the park playing with our kids or our grandkids. All of us have these moments each and every day. How are we using these moments? How are we harnessing these moments to make a difference for God? There was a man named Johnny who worked at a grocery store. One day, Johnny went to a training event led by a speaker named Barbara Glanz. Barbara was talking to more than 3,000 people who worked at a supermarket chain. She was talking to people who bag groceries, people who stock the shelves, people who drive the trucks, everything else in between. And she was trying to motivate them, to encourage them. And so in her talk, she was talking about how everybody can make a difference right where they are, doesn't matter what their role is. All they have to do is be creative. And so after she finished, she left her number, and then she invited people to call her if they wanted to speak about something that she had said. Well, she didn't think very much of it, but then out of the blue, a month later, she got a phone call from a young man named Johnny. Johnny told her that he was 19 years old, that he bagged groceries, and he also proudly informed her that he had Down syndrome. He went on to say, Barbara, I really liked what you had to say in your talk, but being somebody who bags groceries, I didn't really think that there was much that I could do to make a difference. But then I had an idea. 
And Barbara said, well, what was your idea? Tell me about it. He went on to explain how every night when he would come home from his shift, he would think up a thought for the day. A thought for the day. Something positive, something encouraging, something uplifting. Some reminder of how good it is to be alive. How much human beings matter. How many gifts we are surrounded by as people. And if he couldn't come up with a thought for the day himself, he would find one. Maybe online or maybe in a book, something like that. And then he and his dad would go to the computer and they would type it out on a Word document. They would type it out six times on a page and then print out 50 pages. So that way that thought was listed 300 times. He would take a pair of scissors, he would cut them out, he would personally sign each one. Then the very next day at the grocery store, as he was bagging groceries, he would come to the very last bag and he would put that saying on the top of the bag. And then he would look the customer straight in the eye. We have a picture of this. And he would say to them, I put a really nice thought in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. I am so glad you came to our store. It was so lovely to see you. Well, suddenly, Barbara got another telephone call, not from Johnny. She got it from the store manager. He said, Barbara, you won't believe what's going on here. I was doing my rounds at the store the other day, and the checkout line for Johnny's line was three times longer than anybody else's. It went all the way down the frozen food section. I got on the loudspeaker to encourage customers to not just stay in one line, but to go to other lines, and the customers all said, that's okay. We'll wait. Has anybody here ever wanted to wait longer at the grocery store? <laughs> we'll wait. We want to be in Johnny's line. We want to talk to Johnny. We want to know what Johnny's thought for the day is. The manager also shared that a customer had come up to him, grabbed him by the hand. There were tears in her eyes, and she said, sir, I want you to know something. I used to come to the store about once a week to do my grocery shopping. Now I stop by here every single time that I'm driving by. I want to know Johnny's thought for the day. Johnny is doing more than filling bags with groceries. He's filling lives like my own with hope. That's a picture of Johnny and Barbara Glanz, the speaker who spoke that day. I love this story because Johnny was wise about redeeming the time and recognizing the potential of each moment, even a seemingly mundane moment, like bagging groceries at the grocery store. I don't know if Johnny's a person of faith, but make no mistake about it. What he did was faith-filled. And folks, all of us have moments like this every single day. Paul is saying to us, grab onto these moments. Take hold of these moments. Seize these moments. Use such moments to creatively carry out the ministry of Jesus. So what does it mean to give Jesus our time? It means to embrace Christian community. And it also means to allow the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, to work in us and through us every moment of every day. When we do that, we will be well on our way to giving Jesus all of who we are. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's pray together. God, forgive us. Forgive me for the excuses that I make. I don't have enough time. When God, the real truth is that I need to really look at my priorities and make you and your kingdom more important to me. Please, God, help all of us to do this as we go about our lives. Thank you for the time that you have given us on this earth. Help us to embrace Christian community, recognizing how you use the church to shape us and help us in our journey, and help us also to redeem the time, to use our time wisely so that we might, like Johnny, creatively carry out your ministry in whatever context we find ourselves. We love you, God. We praise you. We worship you. Please help us to be your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.